You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's drive time now. Welcome to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. Tribe Talk is brought to you by Progressive, helping Indians fans save hundreds on car insurance. Welcome to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with you this weekend from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. And what better to try and warm up a ridiculously cold winter weekend in Northeast Ohio than some baseball talk on the radio, the hot stove burning. And we will have some good interviews lined up for you this week as well as some news and notes for you as well on the Tribe. And interview-wise... Well, it's Hall of Fame voting time, and that's wrapping up rapidly with the announcement for the class of 2018 for the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown coming up on January the 24th. Paul Hoynes will join us, the longtime beat reporter from the Cleveland Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com. He has voted yes for Jim Tomey and also voted yes for Omar Vizquel. Vizquel facing an uphill battle, and Hoynes, he just doesn't see why. You know, I, I just, you know, I watched him for 10 years, 11 years. He's he's the best shortstop I've ever seen. Uh, defensively, I think he was the glue to those teams, those great uh, Indians teams in the, you know, from uh, 95 through, uh, you know, 2000, 2001. Uh, he was, uh, you know, a significant part of those clubs, especially, you know, I think people, you know, look at the defense, obviously, but offensively, you know, I think he turned himself into a pretty good hitter. Also this week, we'll begin our previews of other clubs in the American League Central Division, the Indians' rivals from the division. All of a sudden, the Detroit Tigers in a total rebuild after posting the worst record in all of baseball a season ago. They'll be under a new manager in Ron Gardenhire and the longtime radio voice of the Tigers, Dan Dickerson, will join us. And he says Gardenhire should bring some good things to Detroit. You know, just watching him his years in, in Minnesota, I just I just love Ron Gardner. I mean the personality is one of those personalities that's if not larger than life, it's one of those ones that you just see him connect with players, the ability to get the most out of players. I think his teams is and you saw it too, I mean the the attention to detail, they talk about making sure you're doing certain things right, but not just talking a good game, they're making sure you execute it and here's how we're gonna go about it. They're going to run the base as well. They're going to go first to third. They're going to have good defensive teams. They're going to make sure that you're not giving away 90 feet. I think that's a big emphasis for him. And that adds to, to me, a team that plays a good brand of baseball and also a team that can maybe outperform the expectations a little bit. So it's Paul Hoynes, Dan Dickerson, and some news and notes on the Tribe with some invites to Major League Camp. We'll fill you in on those as Tribe Talk gets rolling on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. 
Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. Later on this month, January the 24th, the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown will announce its class of 2018, and it will have a distinctly Cleveland Indians flavor to it as former Indians Jim Tomey and Omar Vizquel are on the ballot for the first time. And as expected, Tomey is tracking very well to be a slam dunk first ballot Hall of Famer. However, it's been more difficult for Vizquel, at least to this point. It doesn't appear that he will come close to reaching the 75% vote needed for induction. Paul Hoynes is the longtime beat reporter for the Cleveland Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com, and he's also the proud owner of a Hall of Fame vote for many years. Hoynes, he says, while Tomey's selection is clear-cut, He's struggling to understand why other voters don't see what he saw in Omar Vizquel over 11 seasons in Cleveland. Yeah, it looks like Tommy is definitely going to get in, Rosie. Uh, you know, the, the updated ballots that have been revealed, you know, have him at 94% of, on, you know, named on 94% of the ballots. And uh, you've got to, you know, 70, you've got to get 75% to uh, get in. So, you know that that's exciting for Jimmy, uh, definitely. I think and well deserved. Uh, Omar is probably around twenty eight percent right now. You know, and those are like thirty seven percent of the ballots, one hundred and fifty eight ballots. There's usually about four hundred twenty to four hundred fifty ballots cast. So uh, you know, still a long way to go here. And uh, but you know, at least it looks like you know Omar is going to stay on the ballot, and people get a chance to uh, you know study his case. You know, you, if, as long as you get five percent of the vote, you can stay on for ten years. So that's uh, you know that's a good thing. And in your mind, what makes him a Hall of Famer, if not this year down the road? You know, I I just you know I watched him for ten years, eleven years. He's he's the best shortstop I've ever seen. Uh, defensively, I think he was the glue to those teams, those great uh, Indians teams in the, you know, from uh, 95 through, uh, you know, 2000, 2001. Uh, he was, uh, you know, a significant part of, of those clubs, especially, you know, I think people, you know, look at the defense, obviously, but offensively, you know, I think he turned himself into a pretty good hitter. I mean, he, he ended up with over 28,000 hits, 2,800 hits, I should say. Um, you know, and, and people, you know, you know, people say uh, th- those are counting numbers. You know, th- those are numbers because, you know, he played forever. Well, <laughs> I don't think longevity should count, it, count against you in, in the Hall of getting into the Hall of Fame. I think that's a, that's a plus because, you know, you know Major League Baseball as well as I do. I mean, if you can't play, you're not going to make the roster. It doesn't care, you know, how many gold gloves you've won or what your name is. You've got to still be able to help. And, and Omar was playing until he was 45 years old. And, you know, I think a lot of um, – a lot of, you know, the emphasis is, okay, he didn't receive a lot of MVP. He never, I don't, maybe he might never have got an MVP vote. And, you know, he, his war wasn't low. But, you know, now you, you hear all these uh, sabermeticians talk like trashing war, like it's a useless stat, you know. So, you know, this, this is one of those things where I can see this turning into a Jack Morris type thing. You know, Morris was on the ballot for 15 years, as you know. You know, the winningest pitcher in the in the in the 80s, the decade of the 80s, pitched maybe the greatest game in in, in baseball history that I ever saw in in Game Seven of the '91 World Series, and he never got on. And the first year he was eligible on the Veterans Committee, he gets on. So, you know, I hope Omar doesn't have to wait that long. I, I but I definitely think his credentials. 
are solid, and he, and he belongs in the Hall of Fame. And you mentioned some of the numbers that, that would indicate as such. And, and your perspective is, is really the eye test, too. And, and is it a struggle sometimes when, when you see some criticisms of him and his potential uh, Hall of Fame induction? Yeah, I, I think it is. You know, I mean, you know, I, I was glad Omar, you know, toward the end of his career got to play in, in San Francisco. And, uh, you know, the, the National League writers got to see him. And, I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I voted for Alan Trammell and, and – and, uh, <laughs> and and Morris every year they were on the ballot and because uh, I'd seen them play a lot you know and I saw what they meant to that team uh, to the, those great Det- uh, Detroit Tiger teams and you know I really you know I I thought their statistics were good enough to get in and uh, and you know lo and behold the first year on the you know on the on the veterans ballot they both get in and and that was a rarity because I think that was the first time since 2001 that that committee had elected a, a living player you know they they they'd elected you know players that had passed away uh but uh so you know it it's it's such a convoluted uh you know process everybody you know does approaches it a different way and uh but you know if you see a guy every day for 11 years you see him play almost every game for 11 years i mean you should know if he's a hall of famer or not and you mentioned that and jim tomey would seem to be the the consummate first ballot hall of famer i would i would think that would be a slam dunk for just about everybody voting yeah i i think so definitely uh rosie uh he you know he was you know, he. I just remember that lineup uh, in when they came with '95 or '94, '95, '96, when him, Manny Ramirez, and uh, Paul Sorrento, I think, and Sandy Alomar were hitting down at the bottom of the order. <laughs> I mean, think of like I think Tommy ends up with 612 home runs. Manny hits 555. You know, it's just you know you, you don't see players like that come through the same system at the same time. You know that that often and and uh, it was just such a treat to watch those guys but you know you you really saw you know Tommy just uh you know you know grow from you know a bottom of the order hitter to where he became you know he he replaced Albert Bell he he became the focal point of that offense uh very dangerous guy uh you know and he and he had to change his swing because when he first came up he was kind of a you know, uh, he hit the opposite way. He was, you know, he was kind of a gap hitter. And he finally, you know, he worked with Charlie Manuel and uh, finally learned to pull, turn on the ball. And after that, there was no stopping him. Paul Hoynes joining us, Indians longtime beat reporter with a Hall of Fame vote from the Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com. And uh, Hoynes, we're not going to get into to everyone that, that you put on your ballot. Uh, you're allowed 10, and you did fill it with 10. Uh, some of the interesting ones that have generated uh, great discussion, baseball discussion over the years. Trevor Hoffman, a closer, not a slam dunk because of his role as a closer. What puts him over the top in your mind, and, and what makes it so hard for a closer to get into the Hall of Fame, you think? Yeah, Rosie, I, I don't understand that vote at all. You know, I think we've seen DHs get into the Hall of Fame. I think closers belong in the Hall of Fame. Eckersley is in the Hall of Fame. You know, I, I voted for Hoffman. I I mean, I, I think what he's got the second most saves in baseball history next to Mariano Rivera. And, you know, I think that's a role that, uh, you know, a, a lot of people kind of look down their noses at that, that anybody can pitch in the ninth inning. And I think you and me have seen that that's not true. I mean, you have to, 
you know, you have to have a, a, a kind of a special kind of makeup to, to do that job. He did it for a long time. And I, I thought he was a slam dunk. I didn't even think about that. And, and I know, uh, you know, people have been, people, you know, kind of, you know, d- don't appreciate closers. Lee Smith, you know, I always voted for him. He, he was on the ballot for 15 years and didn't, didn't get a sniff. I just think, you know, that's a pressure situation. You know, you're, you're pitching in a phone booth, basically. You can't make a mistake. And, uh, you know, it's either you either win or lose the game. It's, it's, you don't get, uh, there's no holds when you're a closer. So, uh, you know, I, you know, I think Hoffman did it, did it as well as anybody in history. And, and you alluded to designated hitters. At times in the past, it, it's been difficult for them. And, and you voted for Edgar Martinez, and he's tracking very well here with a couple of weeks to go. Uh, the, the longtime DH, most of his career is a DH for the Mariners. Uh, what set him over the top for you and, and allowed him to overcome perhaps a, a stigma attached to a designated hitter? Yeah, I know, you know, some people think he didn't play long enough, uh, you know, and, and you had, you're, you're attached to, to the DH. But a guy like Molitor got in, you know, uh, to the Hall of Fame. Uh, I think, he, you know, he finished his career basically as a DH. Um, so, you know, I think that, that mold has been, you know, that, 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 I think that stereotype has been broken. But to me, Edgar was just the most dangerous hitter I've ever seen. I mean, every time he, I saw him, he, he, he got big hits at big times in, in games. Uh, he just never, you know, it never seemed, nothing ever seemed to bother him. He always seemed to be, uh, you know, I mean, he always seemed to rise to the moment. He, he excelled at his craft and, uh, I just, you know, when I saw him, I, I thought bad things were going to happen to the Indians. I always, I, and that he was going to do good things. I really, I thought he was, he was a very, very good hitter. And the one other one I, I wanted to, to touch on was Fred McGriff. You voted for Fred McGriff. You don't vote for Barry Bonds, and, and I know you have stayed away from, from those under suspicions or, or more in terms of PEDs. Uh, and Fred McGriff was one of those who played in that era and, uh, may have suffered because of that. Is that part of, of why he's on your ballot, or, or were there other things, too, for Fred? Well, I like McGriff, yeah. And I think what he hit, like, what, four? I think he was, like, maybe three or four home runs short of, of 500. I think he, you know, he, and I, I just, I always like watching him, watching him swing the bat. I thought he would, you know, he's very, very good on all those good Atlanta teams. And uh, we saw him, you know, at the end of his career in the American League. I, I just, you know, I, I, I just I liked the way he played. I thought he had the numbers, and uh, you know that that's why you know I voted for him. And and yes, you know I think uh, you know the ballot kinds of comes into play a little bit too. You know I I don't vote for the PED guys. Uh, you know obviously Barry Bonds and and, and and Clemens and and you know there's you know Gary Sheffield and Manny Ramirez. You know those guys. You know I you know you would think are, are ahead of, of McGriff, but you know. I've, I've always had the belief that I, you probably should vote for 10 guys on the ballot. And, uh, you know, McGriff was that guy. And, and, you know, I just, uh, I just liked the way he, sw- I just, you know, always admired the way he swung the bat. I really did. You've been doing it a long time, still as much enjoyment of, of putting together that ballot and, and sending it off to Cooperstown as you had when you very uh, started for the very first time. <laughs> I don't know about that, <laughs> Rosie. I, I think uh, it's become a lot more complicated, you know, a lot more political. Um, you know, I was glad to see, um, 
Joe Morgan come out with his letter. He sent a letter to all the all, all the voters, you know, saying that uh, you know that the that the that the a lot of Hall of Fame guys that are already in there, Hall of Fame players already in the Hall of Fame, you know, are, are unhappy, would not welcome, you know, steroid users. And, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, Morgan came out and kind of stated the case. He's a, I think he's, he's, he's got a role with, you know, I think he's a vice chairman or vice president in, 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 in Cooperstown. So, you know, that, that gave, at least to me, that gave some direction to, to uh, you know how they were leaning, and I, you know, I know a lot of writers took took offense to it. You know, th- thought that they were being bullied into you know voting a certain way, especially since there's probably already steroid users in the Hall of Fame. But you know, I I had no problem with it. I appreciated it. Hoinsy, thanks so much for coming by and, and sharing some thoughts on that. No problem, Rosen. Thanks, man. That's Paul Hoynes from the Cleveland Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com. And once again, the class of 2018 will be announced on January the 24th. Could be one of the largest in recent memory or history if things go well for certain players. Tommy Chipper Jones, Vladimir Guerrero, Edgar Martinez, and Trevor Hoffman all in solid position with about a third of the votes in by the end of this past week. Stay tuned. When we return, we'll begin our preseason look at Indians' American League Central Division opponents, and we'll start with a rundown on the rebuilding Detroit Tigers. That's after this timeout on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Tribe Talk, Jim Rosenhouse, back with you at Progressive Field, downtown Cleveland, on a chilly, chilly, frigid, cold winter weekend. Boy, it doesn't make you think much about baseball, but it does have you yearning for spring training, which is right around the corner, mid-February. The Indians will be reporting to Goodyear, Arizona. Time now for our first preview of an Indians Central Division opponent. A year ago, when we previewed the Detroit Tigers, well, there was optimism in Detroit that the Tigers would continue a decade of excellence with a strong challenge for the Indians for that American League Central Division crown. Well, to say those hopes fell short of expectations would be an understatement. The Tigers finished with the worst record in baseball at 64-98. and 98. What went wrong? Long time. Tigers radio voice Dan Dickerson joins us and explains, as is usually the case, it was a variety of factors. I mean, I look at a, a few things because I always kind of start with starting rotation. Just to, you know, when you try to get a feel of how good is a team, uh, you start with the starting rotation. At least I do. And then I thought with the improvements of Norris and Boyd uh, to go with Michael Fulmer's amazing season, rookie of the year season, uh, you had the makings of a pretty good rotation. I expected, you know, Jordan Zimmerman in the second year to be better. Injuries had cut short his first season. And it wasn't a good first season. So I kind of looked at those three things. You know, Miguel Cabrera had bounced back. He had a good year. You've got a nice bat in the middle of the order. Victor Martinez. I mean, you, the offense looked like it would score plenty of runs. And you start right in spring training. Miguel had the bad back starting in the WBC. Uh, led to season-long issues uh, with his back. And, they, you know, they found the two 
uh, discs that were deteriorating in his back. And so hopefully, you know, they're, they're going to correct that. But that wasn't really solved until the end of the year, and that was a problem all year long. Uh, and then, you know, Norris and Boyd obviously struggled, and so did Jordan Zimmerman for that matter. And it was just kind of the, the perfect storm, and everything went downhill in a, in a hurry. And then by the end, after you traded away, you know, Upton and J.D. Martinez and just Erlander, there just wasn't much left in September. <laughs> and it was it was the roughest September we'd seen in a long time. I think it was by the time uh, the, the month ended, if you include the few days of October, they actually had a worse September than they did in 2003 when they lost 119. And, of course, the, the fallout is you will have a new manager next season, but a, a very much familiar name, especially in the American League Central, longtime Twins manager, Ron Gardenhire, and from just your dealings with him in the past with the Twins and what you know so far with what he's trying to do now with Detroit, what do you expect in terms of, of changes from what there was under Brad Osmus in very much different circumstances for Osmus? Yeah, yeah, it's, and it's, as he pointed out, he's been through this kind of thing before where he's being asked to uh, you know, build a team from, if not the ground up, certainly with youth and uh, you know, just watching him his years in, in Minnesota, I just I just love Ron Gardner. I mean, the personality is one of those personalities, which, if not larger than life, it's one of those ones that you just see him connect with players, the ability to get the most out of players. I think his teams is, and you saw it too, I mean, the, the attention to detail. They talk about making sure you're doing certain things right, but not just talking a good game. They're making sure you execute it, and here's how we're going to go about it. They're going to run the base as well. They're going to go first to third. They're going to have good defensive teams. They're going to make sure that you're not giving away 90 feet. I think that's a big emphasis for him. And that adds to, to me, a team that played a good brand of baseball and also a team that can maybe outperform the expectations a little bit. Um, and I just think, you know, Brad has a very – the difference will be in style, I think. There's two very different personalities. I like Brad Osmus a lot. He just had, you know, it was kind of a reserved personality. Ron Gardenhire has a very lively personality. And just – I think there's something about it. It's – it's so hard to figure out how good is a manager, what makes a good manager. Well, you look at Terry Francona, that ability to connect with players so that you can look at a guy on a given day and say, hey, how you doing? And if he says, oh, okay, then you know, hey, what's wrong? You know, what's going on? And that allows you to, I think, with that connection, get the most out of that player on a regular basis. Uh, I think Terry Francona and Joe Madden do it the best. But I think Ryan Gartenheyer is one of those guys who can also, because of his personality, because how he – he looks at things and follows through with things and the staff that he'll have, he's going to get the most out of these players. If it's a 70 win team, he'll get 70 wins or more out of them. Uh, if it's an 80 win team, same thing. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what the coverage not completely bare in Detroit. It, it really isn't. And he's got something to work with. The key is, can he get something out of some young players who had not yet performed uh, that others, that others couldn't. Dan Dickerson joining us, Tigers radio voice, longtime Tigers radio voice, as we begin our looks around the American League Central Tribe opponents for this coming season. And, uh, Dan, you mentioned the cupboard not being bare, and, and we'll get to the younger players that uh, you think might make a difference shortly, but the veterans. You mentioned Miguel Cabrera uh, struggling with, with the back issues. Veteran-wise, what is left that can, can show the way and, and blend in with some of the younger talent? You start with Miguel. I mean, if, if indeed, you know, Brad said he played with a similar uh, disc issue the last 10 years of his career. So, I mean, there's a catcher who plays a similar thing. It's, it's all a matter of how you then approach the offseason, your, your workouts and building your core. 
So let's assume Miguel can come back to 90% of where he was in 2016. I think that's possible. You know, I, I do. Maybe not. Maybe this is something that's going to affect him the rest of his career and uh, will, will cause problems for the rest of his career. I don't think so. Um, but then where does the rest of the production come from? Castellanos had a, a nice year, especially a big finish for him uh, at the plate. I think that's a nice 3-4 in the lineup. Um, and, and then it's a it's a lot of youth <laughs> after that. You've lost a leadoff hitter in Ian Kinsler. There is no obvious leadoff hitter in this lineup right now, and you're going to have a young infield. I mean, Iglesias is, you know, he'll be 27 or 8 next year uh, at short, but Machado will probably be at second. Uh, Candelaria will be at third. That's that's youth at second and third, guys who don't have many major league at-bats. And the outfield will be something along the lines of uh, Leonis Martin, Matuk, um, probably Jacoby Jones if he can hit, but so far he hasn't shown he can hit. And then you've got, you know, uh, Castellanos in right field, and Victor Martinez will be back at DH, but he also obviously struggled last year, and he had the heart issues. He's going to be healthy, but that's that's a big question mark in terms of the bat. So offensively, I think there's some big, big question marks, and you, you need guys like Matuk to follow up a pretty nice season with another nice season. You need some bounce back, obviously, from Miggy, but also – uh, you need somebody in center field who can hit a little bit, and right now they don't appear to have. And pitching-wise, we, we talked earlier about Michael Fulmer being at the top of the rotation. His name has come up in reports, which which means it may or may not be true in terms of a potential trade piece. But uh, you were saying that, I mean, you've got to have something in that rotation to hang your hat on, and, and uh, man, you could certainly be very pleased with, with that heading into the season, the way Fulmer has started his major league career. Oh, he's had two terrific years. He had, you know, the nerve transposition surgery, which I think Jacob DeGrom had at almost the exact same time for the Mets a year prior, came back and had a good year for the Mets. I think there's every reason to believe Michael Fulmer will come back from the same surgery. Uh, but they just moved the nerve, his position in the elbow. I think he'll be fine. Let's assume he's fine. To me, you know, Chris, hiring Chris Basio was a big, big piece of this staff because Chris Basio has a pretty impressive track record of taking guys with talent, emphasis on with talent, who have underperformed elsewhere and made them into something. I mean, it's, it's Jake Arrieta. Look at his numbers at Baltimore. Never really did much of anything in Baltimore. Pedro Stroke, Jason Hamill, Kyle Hendricks, all had either underperformed or not performed at all in previous stops, and they put up pretty impressive numbers with the Cubs. And I look at Norris and Boyd, two guys that I think a lot of teams would be glad to have on their staffs as guys who Chris Basio can get the most out of and get a lot more out of. And it's critical if this team is going to be just, say, competitive. I mean, some people are thinking this is another 95 to 100 loss team. I think if he gets something out of Norris and Boyd along with Fulmer, you've got the makings of a pretty decent young rotation, two lefties and a righty. And then Jordan Zimmerman is kind of a big question mark. The Tigers have him for three more years. He really felt like he needed this offseason to correct some things mechanically because last year, again, was a mess. And there was, you know, the issue with the neck. And I think they figured some things out with that. But, you know, it would be nice to see Jordan Zimmerman step up and be 80% of the guy who was in Washington, the reason the Tigers paid him $110 million for five years. So, I mean, that, and again, you start with the rotation. That's the making. That's a lot of this. I know that. But at least there's talent there. I'm not pretending that these are guys who don't have talent, but – you know, Chris Basio can work some magic with and turn them into something. These guys have talent, Norris and Boyd, and, and they, they really could be mainstays in a rotation. And I think if you're talking about where will the Tigers finish this year, you really start with those two in terms of they could absolutely 
be a team that's a lot better than people think if those two perform to the level I think not just myself, but a lot of people believe they can perform. And, and along those lines, you mentioned those two and then some younger position players. You know, you look at the White Sox, and, and obviously there's a lot of talk about these great young prospects. And, and when the Indians were building up, they, they lost a lot of games, but Michael Brantley, Jason Kipnis, Carlos Santana, and the young pitching, the, you could see that there was a core developing there. Is there that feeling around the Tigers yet, or are they still trying to identify who those those good young players could be? That's a great question, and I think uh, rebuilding the farm system, you're, you're trying to figure out, okay, which of these guys they acquired has a chance to be a major leaguer in the next three years, say. I mean, some might be sooner, some might be later. Kristen Stewart is probably the, the biggest uh, minor league threat to, to get to the major leagues in terms of power. He was not a guy acquired in the trade. He's come up through the Tigers minor league system. But that's a guy who could be up pretty soon. Power guy in, at A-ball, double-A, probably a triple-A this year. Uh, so that's a guy that I think they certainly hope. I think Matuk is a guy because of his improvements this year and his athleticism and, and the ability that he showed uh, in the outfield and at the plate is a guy that you would go, okay, if he continues to develop, they might really have something in Mikey Matuk, a guy that he got for nothing uh, from Tampa. Um, Candelario was intriguing. Hit 320 in September. A lot of that was a little bit of luck in terms of batting average on balls in play, but Candelario at least has a track record of a guy with decent plate discipline, <laughs> some extra base power, um, and they hope, I think, he'll be at third base for a long time. And then the rest, I think James McCann has to show a little bit more offensively, um, and then you're talking about the guys that they acquired in trade that I think they hold the highest hopes for, but again, probably at least two years away, Dennis Cameron, Mike Cameron's son, uh, certainly a top, top prospect. I know they like Jake Rogers a lot, terrific defensive catcher that they picked up, and then Isaac Paredes is that low A ball, but a terrific defensive infielder and hitter, and that's a guy probably to keep an eye on. And, you know, for the first time in a long time, we're going to be watching the Tigers minor league system closely. <laughs> we haven't had to for a long time. We hardly talk about the Tigers minor league system during the course of a normal season, but I think we'll be keeping an eye on guys like that because all of them could be helping in the coming years. I would throw Michael Gerber in the mix, too. He's a little bit older. Gerber and Stewart are probably the two closest to the major league. I would think Gerber might have a chance to, to crack that uh, lineup this year and maybe be a fourth outfielder. Well, no question, Dan. When we have talked in the past, it's been World Series or bust for the Tigers and, and loading up to make a, a really good run, and, and it's been a, a tremendous run of success for Detroit how has the fan base taken to the rebuild, and, and how much of a struggle do you think it may be at the gate this year because of the, the change in fortunes? Um, I would think certainly they'll, they'll take a hit. Um, Al Avila is one of the most candid GMs I've ever seen about, <laughs> about how things will be, but I think he's also made it clear this is a route they had to take. It, he's not sugarcoating it. It will take some years, but he said this isn't a five-, six-year rebuild. I mean, they're trying to figure out a way to – to balance it so that it can be a two, three-year, get those guys who are at A and double-A up to the major leagues in the next two years. And there's some good young pitchers, too. Franklin Perez is somebody to keep an eye on, one of the guys they picked up in the trade. He's right now the Tigers' number one prospect. He's only 19, but he's on the fast track. Um, and I think, I think the fan base realizes this had to be done. I think they realize the Tigers picked up quite a bit of quality in the trades that they made. And... Again, I mean, I'm the eternal optimist, but 
if Cabrera hits like he can, I mean, you still got that Hall of Fame bat in the middle of the order. That's not nothing. I think we saw the effect David Ortiz had on that Boston lineup for his in his late 30s and what that can do to a lineup. Uh, and then it's a matter of, hey, what if what if Norris and Boyd pitch to the level they're capable of and have shown flashes of at the major league level? So it'll be interesting to see. I, yeah, I would think attendance would be down a little bit this year, but I also think the fans are, realize it's kind of exciting to see this rebuild, you know, unfold. There is some talent still worth going to see at Comerica Park. And uh, it's, an, as you know, a tremendously loyal fan base. They haven't been through this in a while. But I, I think the support will still be there uh, over, the, over the course of the year, especially if they maybe surprise a few people. And I think under Ron Gardenhire, they, they will. Well, Dan, it, it's always great to check in with you, especially talking about a team in another cold weather city and uh, boy we are wearing winter right now big time but uh, <laughs> i know that just makes you want to get down to, to lakeland florida and spring training as soon as possible but uh, thanks so much for stopping by i appreciate it oh always good to talk to you rosie that is longtime tigers radio voice dan dickerson always great to have him on talking tigers and we hope you can stay tuned when we return we'll talk tribe with some news and notes on indians transactions from the week gone by as tribe talk concludes right here on the cleveland clinic indians radio network Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you for our final segment from Frigid Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. Indians announced earlier this week that they have extended non-roster invitations to spring training, major league spring training camp to the following players from their minor league system. First baseman Bobby Bradley, who just this past week, Baseball America announced its top ten prospect lists for each organization in the American League Central Division, and Bradley once again ranking very high at number three. And according to the report, this out of Baseball America, he continues to be one of the most productive players in the Indians' farm system. 2015 led the Midwest League with 27 home runs, hit 29 home runs in 2016 in the Carolina League, followed that up with a 23-home run season for Akron a year ago, and it certainly looks as if he will begin this season with AAA Columbus. So things tracking very nicely for Bobby Bradley, who will be in Major League Camp as a non-roster invite. He'll be joined by other position players, including Richie Schaefer, who we saw quite a bit of in spring training a year ago. He went to Columbus this past season as a first baseman and played some other positions as well. Ended up hitting 30 home runs and drove in 89 for the Clippers this past year. Nelly Rodriguez, another first baseman. He'll be in Major League Camp as well. First time for him. A 15th round pick back in 2012. And uh, this past season at AAA Columbus hit 17 home runs with 49 runs driven in. On the pitching front, right-hander Cameron Hill will be with the ball club in Major League Camp along with Cole Sulser, Lewis Head, who saw some time in big league camp a year ago. Same with right-hander Josh Martin. All of them most likely to be in a relief role during the course of spring training. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Tribe Talk. Great to have you with us, and so happy you could tune in as we put our first show of the new year in the books. And spring training not too far away, and also not too far away in two weeks now 
It'll be the 2018 edition of TribeFest. Hope to see you there at the Cleveland Convention Center this year, a new venue for the event. Should be a great time. Go to Indians.com slash TribeFest for all the information and tickets. Until next week, this is Jim Rosenhouse reminding you that you've been listening to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network has been brought to you by Progressive, helping Indians fans save hundreds on car insurance.